Welcome into the Wednesday Bible study. Uh, so thankful that you have made time uh, to be with us again today. Uh, we are walking through the book of Genesis, and and we're walking through it word for word, uh, line by line, chapter by chapter. Today we will finish uh, chapter 24. It is the longest narrative uh, in the book of Genesis, and uh, we ended last week uh, at Genesis uh, 24, verse 28. So we'll pick up in verse 29. If you want to go there, uh, go ahead and turn there. Uh, we, we welcome you here. It is a, a Bible study that was, in the beginning, it was a men's Bible study. It still is as far as the men physically in the room. Uh, this started at my local church, and it is, you know, eight years later, we're, we're still here. Uh, about seven years ago, we started uh, putting uh, our uh, Bible study in archives where you could listen, uh, and then I guess about uh, five years ago we started uh, doing it here on the, live on the Rick and Bubba YouTube channel, giving you a live option to watch it if you want to. It gets archived on the YouTube channel at rickandbubba.com, and then it gets put into the audio archives uh, a couple of places, uh, the Rick and Bubba podcast channel. Now, this is not Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. That's a unique podcast, but the actual podcast archives uh, and and so you can go back and, uh, and and listen to it there on your time. And then if you want to find a place where they all are, a couple ways to do that, BurgessMinistries.com, click on Listen, and you can go there to the, the Men's Bible Study, the Wednesday Bible Study, and they're all archived there audio-wise. And we also have introduced a brand-new resource for your ongoing spiritual growth, and it is called Strive, S-T-R-I-V-E, the Strive app. And on this app, uh, it's more than just what we do here. This is part of it. Uh, there's some selected Bible studies that were done here uh, that are available to you on the Strive app, uh, and easy to search those, by the way. But there's also Bible studies from other people that we trust. Uh, we have uh, devotionals that are available to you that are updated every week uh, for you to go day by day. That's available to you. We have some articles uh, that, that are, are uh, could interest you on things that are going on, surveys, uh, what's going on with the church, what's going on uh, with, with men's ministry. And then, of course, you also get some quotes that you can use and put up just to kind of inspire you. It's, a, it's another great resource for your spiritual growth, for you to continue to abide in Christ, as he instructed us to do in John 15. So if you want to get it, wherever you get apps, just look for Strive. Uh, it'll be there. You get seven days to try it uh, to see if you like it. Then after seven days, if you do uh, stay with us, it's nine ninety nine a month for that uh, ever-updating, ongoing resource, and we continue to add and add and add uh, to that. So grab that if you haven't already. It's it's nice to have in your arsenal. Themanchurch.com is uh, what uh, what this Bible study, it was, it was when we started doing this Bible study, a strategy was kind of forming which is now available at themanchurch.com. It features high challenge, men in gatherings uh, and events, and then it also features high equipping, 40-week curriculum that we create and and we put out. It's got a 12- to 15-minute video I'm, I'm teaching, and then there's a study guide for the uh, facilitator of the group and all the men of the group. There's even something that you can take notes on, and that's our small group curriculum that's available. You can get those. There's three of them uh, at themanchurch.com. We also have individual resources, 40-day devotionals, other books by other great writers in men's ministry that are would be of value to you, daily devotionals, uh, also at themanchurch.com. And we also go out and uh, we have a group of speakers and teachers 
that go out and, and as part of that strategy. And I want to tell you about a couple of them this week. Uh, Scott Garoski from Team Man Church uh, will be speaking Thursday night, the 23rd of June. If you're watching this live, that'll be tomorrow night. It's in the Birmingham, Alabama area, Pleasant Grove, Alabama, at First Baptist Church, Pleasant Grove. They're starting the strategy. This is their kickoff. We tried to kick it off March 1, 2020. Didn't work out because of some worldwide pandemic, uh, but now they're going to try it again. Scott Garoski will kick it off for them Thursday night. Then on June 28th, New Life Chapel, Madison, Alabama, Scott Dawson will be speaking there. They're continuing the men's discipleship strategy. They're already doing it. Now, if you'd like to see what else is going on uh, with our team and, and some of these man churches and where they are near you, just go to themanchurch.com, click on events, and you'll find those there. All right, let's uh, open up in a word of prayer, and let's jump right into finishing Genesis chapter 24. Lord, thank you for today. You, um, Lord, um, have have allowed us to, to hear uh, uh, your inspired word, and may we gather from it what you intend today. Uh, may our hearts be open. Uh, maybe we continue to uh, to seek you. Maybe maybe there's there's men and and of course women who join us on this Bible study, or even men inside this room uh, that that are continuing to seek to to, to want to know you, um, uh, for you to reveal yourself to them. And I pray, Lord, today that that process take place. All right, continues. Uh, in your name, we pray. Amen. Uh, make a note, men in the room. Everybody make a note of this. Everybody with me? I will not be here next Wednesday. I'm on vacation next Wednesday, so we will not have a Bible study in this room next Wednesday. We will come back two weeks from today after the 4th of July holiday. So make a note of that. We'll be back in here. That would be July 6th. That be that Wednesday we come back. Uh, so we'll be back in there, and we'll be in Genesis twenty-five. So there will not be a Bible study next week. I'm on vacation. Make a note of that, and if you're watching this, make a note of that too. But it's a good time to go back and look at archives and maybe pick up a Bible study that you may have missed. All right, so let's let's find out. Let's talk about what's going on in twenty-four. So we know that when we left last week, uh, that Abraham had had sent his most trusted servant to go back to his people, and, he, and we, they made the oath. We talked about the oath. Do not find a wife for Isaac from the Canaanites. I want it from my people, and I want you to bring her back here. Uh, if she will not come back, you're released from the oath, or if her family says uh, that, uh, no, we will not agree to the marriage, then you're released from the oath. Or the other thing that what fulfills the oath is you bring her back. So those are the scenarios that this servant is no longer held to the oath that he made to Abraham and ultimately to the one and only living God. So he's gone there, and he has found Rebekah. Uh, he, she has passed the test, and when we left, uh, she has been given gifts from the servant, and we'll talk about what those are really uh, you know it, that those represent. Uh, then she's gone back to her her family. She's offered lodging and and food to the servant. She's taken care of his camels. And now we find ourselves in verse twenty nine. Uh, let's look at twenty eight first. The young woman ran, told her mother's household. Now this just shows you know in the Jewish faith uh, the the matriarch is a really big deal. Uh, as a matter of fact, if you remember, you were determined to be Jewish or not based on whether your mother was. Uh, a little different. I mean, there was certainly a respect for the father, 
in the household, but in the Jewish faith, the mother is, is very influential. So notice that it says that the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Now let's, let's pick that up now in 29. Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban, uh, and Laban ran out toward the man, this is the servant, uh, to the spring where this took place because you know she's run back home to tell him about the servant. The servant's still back at the spring where she gave him drink and, and watered the camels. Verse 30, as soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and heard the words of Rebekah, his sister, thus the man spoke to me, she said, he went to the man, and behold, he was standing by the camels uh, at the spring. So uh, let's, let's look at verse 29 and 30 right now. Because this is uh, Rebecca telling her mom uh, and also telling her brother uh, about this man and and the gifts that that she was given. And Laban picks up pretty quick. Uh, He he sees these gifts, and guess what he thinks about? Hey, these people are wealthy. And and, and he starts going to find this servant who gave these gifts because he's in. He, He says this is signifying wealth. Uh, and and I, I want to go talk to this guy and start this process of trying to figure out exactly what's going on. So now look at verses 31 and, through 33. He said, Come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man came to the house, unharnessed the camels, gave straw and fodder to the camels, and uh, there was water to wash his feet uh, and the feet of the men who were with him. So he does, he does have a crew with him. Then food was set before him to eat. But he said, this is important. We're going to land here a minute. But the servant said, I will not eat until I've said what I have to say. And then Laban says, well, then speak on. So, so what, what's, what's, what are we looking at here? We know that Laban is now anxious because he's thinking, if we can close this deal, some of these gifts I see on my sister's arms and around her neck, we all gonna get some of this. Okay, so so I I, I got to close this deal. But don't forget, Laban does start off respectful by acknowledging what you, O blessed one, by Yahweh, the Lord, the Lord of Lords. I'm acknowledging that you've come representing the God that we serve. And, and, and I'm, I acknowledge that you've been blessed by him. That's where the blessing comes from. Uh, but he also uh, begins to take care of all the servant's needs, inviting him to lodge. He's offering food. And now why this is important about this line, I will not eat until I, I, I say what I got to say. Now, that's, that's important for you to realize in this culture if I lay food before you and you tell me you won't eat it, that's really rude, and it's considered bad form. Okay, but the servant is saying, "I, I look, I can't, I can't be pampered until I've done what I was sent here to do, and we better write that down." Because I think where we get in, where it gets problematic for a lot of us men and, and and women who may be watching this is too many times we want to be pampered before we've ever completed what God told us to do. You know, we, we spend a lot of times eating, laying around, lazy, and pampering ourselves, 
and and we've had a call in our lives that we we almost have the opposite of what a true servant does. What we say is, I'll get to that after I've done everything I really want to do. I'm hungry, so I'll get to that after I eat. I'm tired, I'll get to that after I rest. Uh, I I haven't quite gotten myself in that position. You know, how many times have you put something off that God's called you to, and you said, now when I get this just like I like it, then I'll do it. When I when I'm when I'm in a place of comfort, then I'll do it. Uh, I'll do it after I've done this. Well, I certainly won't do it during this time because there's things I like to do that pleasure me. Uh, so I I won't do it during football season. I, I will tell you this: we we just because you know we're called by by our Lord and Savior to be savvy. We 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 don't. You know why most of the men's ministry is done in February? You know why? Football's over. Deer season is over. Turkey season and baseball hasn't started yet. And, and, and so that's why everybody tries to do their stuff in February because they know that men may look at something and say, you know, that might serve me well or, you know, that might be something that redeemed me and keep me from, you know, maybe being in torment for, the, for eternity. But I, and I'm happy to go to it as long as it doesn't get in the way of the things that I really want to do. Uh, but but what what we're learning from a servant of the one and only living God, this guy, you say, well, he's a servant of Abraham. Well, he's a servant of Abraham who is God's man. And as you know, he calls he calls uh, the one and only living God Yahweh too, meaning I've bought in to the God that my master serves. That That's become my God too. And what he's saying is, I appreciate all the pampering that's being offered to me, but I really can't be pampered and I really can't be fed until I complete what God told me to do. And it, we, we could use some of that attitude. We could use some of that attitude. I mean, I mean, God forbid we be inconvenienced to serve God. Okay, that's kind of how, hey, I'll do what you want me to do as long as it's not too difficult. And it doesn't get in the way of other things in my schedule things I really want to do, but not this guy. Well, you got to give Laban credit here because Laban shows no sign of being offended. He didn't play the card going, wow, that's rude. What he's saying is you're God's servant. You're here representing Yahweh. So I'm going to stand down because I understand the urgency of this. He lets him speak his mind uh, because the servant, and this is, look, write this down. The servant was on a mission from God. He wasn't on a mission to eat and rest and drink. He was on a servant for God. He was on a mission for God. You know, and I mean, look, I I, I remember not like I didn't like being called to third world countries. I really didn't. You know why? It's nasty. The ones I've been to usually were very very hot. Uh, air conditioning was nowhere to be found. The comforts of the United States of America, nowhere to be found. And it was not an enjoyable experience as far as physically. The food wasn't all that good. But you know what? What made it wonderful was watching God move and knowing that I was being obedient to what I was called to do. That was actually really better than, did, you know, did I like sleeping on, you know, a bunk bed? And 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 a hundred and something degrees with no air condition. I didn't. I didn't enjoy that at all. But did I like watching God move? And did I enjoy that? Did I find did I find peace in that that was beyond my comforts? Yeah, it really was. I liked actually doing something that mattered. There's a concept, something that actually matters. 
as opposed to self-worship. So, uh, so, so this is where this guy is. So uh, the, the next verse is 34 through 41. Let's read them now because Laban says, look, speak your mind. Say what you got to say. So he says, so he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master, and he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds, silver, gold, male servants, female servants, camels, donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old. And to him he has given all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of of the Canaanites, in whose land I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house and to my clan and take a wife for my son. I said to my master, Perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, The Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and prosper your way. You shall take a wife for my son from my clan and from my father's house. Then you will be free from my oath when you come to my clan, and if they will not give her to you, you will be free from my oath. Servant's been kind of savvy here. Watch him. So he describes a conversation he had with Abraham concerning the oath, uh, and it's not word for word. He's paraphrasing a little bit. Some of it is just for time. Others is strategic. Uh, he did not state uh, you know, by, by whom he had swore the oath, like he did in the beginning, uh, that uh, he also uh, concentrated more on Abraham's instruction to find a wife for Isaac from his own family. He did make that clear that it, it was not going to be a Canaanite. He does note his concern uh, about this strategy, meaning that he did say to Abraham uh, that you know, I don't. What, what if what if she won't go with me? What if what if that doesn't work out? Uh, he he does omit Abraham telling him that he will release him from the oath if she won't come with him. He leaves that out. Why do you think that is? Don't even put that on the table. You know, if any of you have ever negotiated before, don't 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 put don't don't say ever. You don't ever say if you're negotiating something. Now you may not want to do this. You know, you, you you're talking. You you're you're you don't want that out on the table. You don't, you don't want them to hear, hey, you won't be in trouble then if my daughter just refuses to go with you. So really, that, that could be an out, right? She didn't have to go, and you're not in trouble. So he didn't, he didn't put that out there. Uh, he, he is saying that he, he, he will be released from the oath, and, and, and so he doesn't want Laban to, um, to, you know, the, to think that maybe this could be an out for them to get a few good gifts, but really not his sister not have to go with this guy. So he also wants Laban to understand that he's not uh, suggesting to, he does say he wants me to bring her back to where he is. Cause you know, Laban's probably thinking there may be a way for my sister to marry this guy, but he'll come here and bring all that wealth that they've got to where we are. So the servant's also smart saying that option is not on the table. You know, there's no Isaac coming here and he makes sure that they understand that. Uh, and then look, look, look at uh, in 40 and 41, he says, there's really only two ways that I can be released from this oath. I got to find the wife and bring her back. Or if you, her family refuse to do it, that, that's the only two ways. So what he wants Laban to know, there's no scenario that she won't go with me. And Isaac comes here. That, 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 that scenario does not exist. Cause he knows that's probably what Laban would pick. 
because this is going to be sacrificial for them, for this daughter and this sister to leave and go. So uh, let's look at 42 through 48. I came today to the spring and said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you are prospering the way that I go, behold, I'm standing by the spring of the water. Let the virgin who comes out draw water to whom I shall say, please give me a drink, uh, a little water from your jar to drink, and who will say to me, drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Behold, I had finished speaking in my heart. Behold, Rebekah came out with her water jar on her shoulder. She went down to the spring, drew water. I said to her, please let me drink. She quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, drink, and I will give your camels drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camels drink also. Then I said to her, whose daughter are you? She said that she is the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah, bore to him, so I put the ring on her, uh, on her nose and the bracelets on her arms. Then I bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord, God of my master Abraham, who had led me by the right way to take your daughter, uh, to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. Pretty good. He's recapping and summarizing. Here's how it went down. Here's how I met your daughter. Here's how it worked. Now, he does leave out. That is, he traveled all the way from Canaan. He leaves that part out. Uh, his prayer, he paraphrases uh, a little bit. He, he he's letting them know basically what he prayed, uh, what he prayed, and he also takes Rebecca. If you remember back when we talked last week, Rebecca, her wanting to give him something to drink and her wanting to to feed the camels, that was separated. When he's recapping, he said she gave me something to drink, and then she said she would she would take care of my camels too. So he's giving them the nutshell, and he's kind of he's he's he. You know what he's trying to show them? He's trying to show them that everything I prayed about for, for that that God would show me who my master's son should marry. Everything I prayed about, your daughter did. It, it worked just like I prayed that God would show me that this is her. So he's wanting this family to realize that if they don't let Rebecca go back to Isaac, they're really rejecting God. And, and I think that's something that we got to understand. I think too many times we're going out trying to, to reach people for the kingdom of God, and, and when we start talking about the, the life that we've been called to, too many times it's presented as if this is something we came up with or this is something that we have chosen or that we're representing ourselves in the way that we think you should live life, and the way we think things should be done. And that's a mistake. Uh, what we're supposed to be saying is, look, this is God's standard. This is the God I represent. This is the God that saved me. And this is what he said about filling the blank. And this is what he said about this and he said about that. That's why I do what I do. And that's why I'm here to propose to you that the Lord God Almighty would require the same thing of you. I serve a gracious God. He redeemed me. He would redeem you. I, 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 I love the Lord God Almighty because he first loved me. He's the one that went and provided the redemption for me. I couldn't provide it for myself. Uh, why do you do the things you do? I, because of the power of God. I honestly couldn't do it. And, 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 and what he's saying is God has confirmed everything, and then he says to them, he says the order also he kind of got the order out of whack a little bit. He gave he he's saying that he gave the gift to her 
the gifts to her before he even knew what her name was. But really, he did ask her name, then give her the gifts. But he's he's basically saying, here's what happened, and and what I'm doing now is letting you know that I'm now officially opening up the negotiation for this woman to be my master's son's wife. The negotiation is on. I'm telling you why I'm here. I'm telling you why I think it's her. And now let's start the process of what we're going to do here. Uh, he also uh, didn't talk about uh, that he asked for lodging because he already has the lodging. There's no need to talk about that. Laban's been very hospitable to him. Uh, and, and his original prayer was of thanksgiving uh, for Yahweh's kindness to Abraham and Yahweh leading him to the, to the master's relatives. And uh, he did not um, repeat this, um, but he did state that he praised God for guiding him to find a bride for Isaac. Remember, who's, who guided him there? God did. So this sums up the purpose for the trip, and it's also an indirect proposal for a marriage agreement made between Abraham and Laban for Rebecca to marry Isaac. So what he's done is he said, I'm telling you, this is what God has said. This is how it went down. So what's y'all's response to the fact that God has confirmed your daughter is supposed to be the wife of my master's son? So let's, let's, now, now you ever do that, and now it's back on your court. There's my, there's my pitch, and now it's in your court. So, uh, so this, this is, the servant's getting, getting the job done. So in 49, watch this next one. In 49, he also indirectly, trying not to be offensive, is asking for a decision on the proposal. Look, look, look what he says in 49. Now then, if you are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. So he's saying, and I love that setup. You know, th- this, is, this is a good salesman. You know, he, he, it's a foregone. Now, if you want to just, you know, not be right and do the wrong thing, you certainly can. But if you want to be steadfast and you want to be faithful to my master Abraham, then let's get this thing done. Now, if you don't, that's fine. I, I, I'll, I'll decide which way I'm going to go. And, um, and it's, um, it's kind of like when I was selling, you know, the radio. I, in the early days, I did the show, but I also sold the advertising on the show directly. I still have a role in that, but I, I'm not a direct salesman like I used to be. And then I would say things like, I mean, if you want to go ahead and actually sell these products and you want to go ahead and get this phone ringing, then let's get this thing done. Now, if you don't want to do that, that's fine. Then I'll just go and I'll go talk to somebody else about it. And then they're sitting there going, so meaning if you make this decision, you're making the wrong decision if, if, you, go, if you go against what I'm proposing. And I've, I've, I remember I used to even pull back the curtain and look out there in the parking lot, and they'd say, where are you looking? And I said, well, that ship out there, that Rick and Bubba ship's about to leave. I hope you're on it. <laughs> you know it. And, uh, and so, uh, so, so, so this is, this is um, what, what he's saying. He said, if, if you, he looks at Laban, he says, if you want to show kindness and faithfulness to my master Abraham, then, then let's do this. Now, I've, the whole time I was studying this, I kept thinking, where's your daddy? Well, you know, what, why is this brother out there leading the, the negotiation? Well, daddy shows up in verse 50 and 51. Then Laban, Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. 51. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go. And let her be the wife of your master's son, 
as the Lord has spoken. So Bethuel, the daddy, finally shows up. Now, first of all, I want you to know that this Laban taking the lead in the negotiation is not unprecedented in Scripture. As a matter of fact, when we get to Genesis 34, uh, when this horrible thing happens with Dinah, you remember that? When her brothers get real upset, obviously, you're going to see the brothers negotiating about her marriage as well. So this is not uncommon. Uh, you're you're going to see Simeon and Levi do the same thing concerning their sister Dinah in 34. But know that the daddy's there. He's not absent. And you see him step up, and what he's basically saying is what? My son and I are in agreement. You know, He speaks for our family. I don't disagree with what's going on here. We both have come to the conclusion uh, that we think that this is of the Lord, uh, and, and father and brother agree this is from Yahweh, and Rebekah will be the bride, and this is cool. He doesn't call uh, Abraham by name. He says, your master's son. Uh, and, and his name is never given by the servant or asked for by the family. But you're going to see before we're done today, they know about Abraham. Well, I think about it, they're his kinsmen. You think they don't know what God's doing through Abraham? This is probably going throughout all of Abraham's people, uh, what Abraham is doing, and you'll see that here in a minute. So uh, now let's look at 52 uh, to the first part of 54. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. So the minute that he hears that they're going to agree to what God wants done, he praises him. Do we do that? Do you ever ever pray about something? Do you ever get on your face about something and you're petitioning the Lord and the Lord answers your prayer? I mean, immediately we should stop and praise him. That's exactly what he's showing us. The minute that God confirms what he laid out, he bows his head and he worships the Lord. He is worthy of worship. How many times has he come through for us and we just got excited and moved on? And we, you know, it, you think about, you know, the example that Christ gave us about the lepers. You know, he heals these lepers and they all leave and only one of them comes back and says, thank you. You know, we, we should, we should thank God every day for the grace and mercy that he has afforded all of us because none of us are worthy to stand in his presence without his grace and mercy. But also these other things that he continues to do above and beyond, uh, and, and, and they go with, with no thank you. But not the servant. His first reaction is to worship Yahweh. Uh, 53, and the servant brought out jewelry of silver and of gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave her brother, Laban's finally got it done, didn't he? He's fired up. And also to her mother, costly ornaments. Uh, And uh, and he said, and he and the men who were with him uh, ate and drank, and they spent the night there. So celebration, worship of the Lord. I got more gifts I'm handing out to the family. Um, So the gifts of engagement to Rebecca and, and then these gifts to the family uh, later in the law of Moses, I don't know whether this got out of hand or what, but we'll see this later in the law of Moses. Uh, God instructs Moses. He limited the price of a bride because, you know, if, if you had a daughter, uh, then whoever came to marry her, they're supposed to 
they're supposed to be giving you something of, uh, for, for her. He had he limited it to fifty silver shekels, uh, and which is a big price, by the way, as we talked about back when Abraham was buying the piece of land. Uh, but for some reason, uh, the law of Moses puts a limit on it. We don't know how much all this is uh, that uh, that the servant is handing out, uh, but uh, but it must be pretty good uh, because um, um, it, it is coming from a very wealthy family. Um, so um, then it says that what? And after all this was done, look at fifty four a, and he and and the men who were with him, that's his team that came to do this, then they ate and drank and spent the night together. Okay? Only after the job was complete did the servant, representing us, eat and relax. Only after the job was done. And and I, I, I I'm, that's kind of... I've always kind of had that in my in my DNA. Probably comes from my from my mother and father, and and especially my father, is, is the work ethic. I've never been comfortable relaxing if the task is not complete. Now I have no problem resting, and we all need to rest. But uh, but I think some of us are are we rest before it's done, and that's why it never gets done. Finish finish the call. Finish what you've been told to do. Then you can eat, and then you can rest. And 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 we so many times I, I I know I know if you if I tell people this all the time, and and you've heard it before too. There's these people that they never want to do what they've been called to do unless it's all perfectly going to work out. If you're waiting for the perfect time. If you're waiting for the this moment in your life, then I'll serve the Lord. That moment never comes. There's always something you got to sacrifice and something you got to overcome in order to to do what you're called to do. Uh, it's never going to be a perfect arrangement. Sometimes you just need to be obedient. I was talking with a, a friend of mine, part of our team uh, uh, at, at themanchurch.com, and we were, we were talking. And, and I think it really is this. I, I don't want to oversimplify our lives once we've been reconciled to God, but, but I think it really is this. I mean, it's still it, it's a lot to do, a lot of work to do. Really, just be obedient. I, I mean, people sit around, and, and it's like they get obsessed with this predestiny versus free will and pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, uh, rapture. And, and I'm like, you know, why are we in these conversations? Shouldn't we be doing what he called us to do? I, I've got so many things that God has called us to do and has told us to do that are so crystal clear that I, wa- I wouldn't have time to sit around and talk about pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. I ain't got time for that. I, I'm so busy doing what God said to do. I, f- I don't find time to sit around. Maybe if you got time to sit around and kick that stuff around, maybe you're lazy. Maybe, maybe you're not, you, you hadn't spent much time on being obedient. 
Think about all the things. Think about just just if just if you said, I'm gonna immerse myself into my role as a husband, my role as a father, my role in the in the in the bride, the local church, which by the way is our Rebecca, the local church. I'm gonna be immersed in that. I'm gonna look at scripture and look at what God's clearly commanded me to do. How do you have time to sit around and have these kind of discussions? I mean, can you imagine me standing before the Lord and, and, and the Lord saying, what, what happened with all the, the things that I called you to clearly? Why did you never get to those? Well, I was having lunch with some, some uh, predestiny people, and, and I was trying to make an argument for free will. So are, were, are both of y'all redeemed? Oh, yeah, there's no question about that. And you spent time talking about that? You know what I think the Lord would say to me? It sounds like you're trying to win an argument, not win souls. Right? Is that what do I wake up every day to win arguments or to win souls? Um, and and there, there's there's hey, we got a lot to do. I mean, our Lord and Savior is sitting there looking, and I just wonder if this dynamic has ever changed. When he's looking at the first followers of Jesus, and he, what does he say? The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Maybe it'll always be that way, but I want to be in the few. I want to be in the few. It took me a long time to to not, and and it was. I don't think you ever truly reach redemption if that's all you're trying to do, is not to go to hell. I don't think you ever really do it. I, I didn't. That used to be my goal, but when I started looking at this, like. I'm thankful for my redemption so much to the point that I'm going for a well done. And I'm not trying to earn my salvation. I'm not trying to earn my redemption because I can't. But I am trying to be obedient as a response to my redemption. I I do want to have an impact for the kingdom. I do want God to use me. I'm not satisfied with sitting in the stands and talking about how everybody else should, how it ought to be done. I want to be out there doing it and making some mistakes along the way, but at least I'm making them going 100%. At least, at least I'm responding and going for a well done, good and faithful servant. How can anybody just want to be, do the bare minimum? I don't even understand that. What a, what a terrible attitude that is. And that's, that's not really being enamored with God, is it? I think the response to when you finally know him, you can't help but be part of it. There's not there's not another choice if you really know him. All right, so now we get into uh, Rebecca's departure, uh, starting in, in verse 54b. When they arose in the morning, he said, Send me away to my master. 55, her brother and her mother said, Let the young woman remain with us a while, at least 10 days, After that, she may go. And look at this response here. But he said to them, do not delay me. Says the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. They said, let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? She said, I will go. It's pretty straightforward. So, again, it's really kind of what we're talking about. What the family wants more time, understandable, completely understandable. They want more time with their daughter. I got it. We all understand that. And so their plan is, well, just stay 10 more days. We just need some more time with her. And what do we learn from that? 
we got to let our children go. When they've been called by the Lord and they need to go and they need to fulfill what they've been called to do, you got to stop clinging to them. Or you put it in front of you, if there's something that somebody, that the call is there and you keep saying, we're going to do that one day, let's delay. Do you remember how much we did dislike that, fathers in here who have children? How many of you loved for, for, for your, the obedience of your children to be delayed? What did we say? It's not obedience at all. What the servant's saying is, hey, God's confirmed this. This is the girl. we got to go. I mean, it's all been done. Y'all, y'all trying to delay my departure. I got to go. Be sure that you don't get in the way and delay God's call on somebody's life, even for the best of intentions. Because what 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 what's the road that's paved to hell? Was it paved with intentions? The best of intentions. You got to be in sync. If God calls your daughter, calls your son to serve the Lord, and he or she may say, I'm not going to see you as much as I used to. You ought to celebrate that they're going out under the authority of the Lord. There's nothing better than you ought to sleep at night to know your children are doing what they were called to do. There's no greater feeling. And um, and so... I like when he says, look, I, I got to go, but you got to love this. Confirming that Rebecca is the one, uh, they reach a, a, a stalemate in their negotiations, and what do they both agree? Both parties say, let's let Rebecca decide, and she proves she's the one. What does she say? I'm going. I will go. It was brief and, I know, a little shocking from our, 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 our wives here, decisive. Made a decision, made it quick, and said, 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 I will go. And I'm just joking about that. My wife can be quite decisive. So, uh, so she goes, 59 through 61. So they sent away Rebecca, their sister, uh, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant and his men, and they blessed Rebecca and said to her, now this is her family, Oh, sister, you may become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. Now that sounds real familiar, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. Then Rebekah and her young women arose and rode on camels, and they followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went on his way. So Rebekah says, I'm going. The family says, let's, let's give you um, uh, a blessing. Uh, so so she, she was able to take, this is actually Deborah. Uh, this is the nurse who nursed her uh, and her other uh, servants that, that worked with, with her and, and her role in the family. Rebecca's family places a blessing on her. Appears to be a variation, doesn't it sound familiar, of God's blessing on Abraham. And, and you see the two distinct benefits that tell you that. What are they? Number one, many offspring. They're praying that she produces many offspring. And what, what did God say to Abraham? I'm going to produce many offspring. So you, you see that there. The other uh, is the possession of the gates of their enemies. May you, may you be victorious over everybody who's your enemy. Think about that. A nice prayer to pray over our children. May you produce offspring that will continue the legacy of our faith. And may the adversary, anything that he, that he has planned to come against you or any of your enemies, may you be protected by God that they can't touch you. You control their gates. They can't even get out. 
That's a great prayer to pray uh, over those that you love. By these words, they acknowledge Rebecca is the chosen instrument of God to further the promise made to Abraham. That's big. They're acknowledging she's the one. She'll be used to ultimately get us where? To Jesus. So Laban and, uh, and his mom uh, learn uh, of God's words of blessing and use them to confirm that the marriage arrangement was Yahweh's doing. This is the part I was going to tell you about. The fact that they prayed that prayer, they heard about Abraham. They heard about the promise that God gave Abraham. They knew it. And they're confirming that they believe it, and they're confirming that their daughter will be part of it, and that God himself came and got her. And so they're they're good with that. Now Isaac will marry Rebekah, 62 through 66. Now Isaac had returned uh, from from a word that's very hard to say, uh, Belaha Roy, okay, and uh, and that and was dwelling in the Geb, and Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward the evening. Underline that, and he lifted up his eyes and he saw and behold there were camels coming. And Rebecca lifted up her eyes and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. So we, uh, we see that, uh, um, that even though this is where Isaac is living now, it's near uh, where Abraham is because you see Rebecca asking the servant, Who is that? Meaning, we're close enough to where you're from. You already know these people. So we're getting close now. So he, he's in the field. We don't know why he's in the field. Now, I don't know what the translations you guys have uh, here in the room. I, I usually teach uh, the English standard um, um, interpretation in English of Scripture of the Hebrew. The Hebrew verb here um, is, is caused the, those that interpret this to be either he was walking in the field, others, which mine says, He's meditating slash praying in the field. So we know that he's in this field. That's how she sees him. Uh, I would tend to lean in the English Standard Version is just a very straightforward, this is the Hebrew, this is the English, and and they go to meditating, uh, that it would be likely, if he knows what the servant's been sent to do, that he's anticipating their return. And he's out there in the field, and he's out there meditating. He's out there praying. Uh, even if even if you go with mine, just says he's walking. I would say he's not just walking around for exercise. He's probably out there praying and meditating and looking for this day that has now arrived. So, so do, do we do that? I mean, whatever God has promised you, are you meditating on this? Are you praying on this? Are you out moving around? And when you're going through your day, even if you're out there working, are you constantly thinking about the promises of God? And are you anticipating the day that he will call his church to himself? Or the day that your body will stop working and you'll stand to the presence of the Lord? Are, are, do you spend your time meditating on those promises? Anticipating seeing that on the horizon? Yeah, you remember what Jesus said in Matthew 24, be careful that you're not like those in the days of Noah. They were just rolling through their days and and and, and continuing to blaspheme God as if it was no big deal and he was never going to destroy the earth. 
120 years. They just they just, they never were anticipating. They weren't listening to the promises. And then when the water came, they they were just saying they they were just headed to the next thing as if nothing was going to happen. But you see Isaac, he's he's anticipating this. He sees the camels. She wants to know who he is. The servant says, "My master." Underline that. Why is that important? Here's the transition. The servant knows that Abraham's about to die. He's transitioning to Isaac will now be the guy. He now refers to Isaac as his master. He's been saying my master's son, but now when the here comes the wife and he knows this is going to complete what Abraham sent him to do, he knows Abraham's about to go to receive his reward. And, and he has now shifted from calling Abraham his master and he's calling Isaac his master. Uh, he, he now is the sole heir and Rebecca covers her face when he says, hey, that, that's your fiancé. That's what we would say. That's your fiancé. So she covers her face because that, until she marries him in this culture, when she says, oh, that's my, that's my future husband, but he's not my husband yet, cover her face out of, out of modesty. She covers her face to go meet her fiancé, and that, that was what should have been done. That was proper for the women to do in the presence of their future husband. So the servant tells him all that he has done. He goes up to Isaac. And says, you ain't gonna believe what you ain't gonna believe what all has happened. I mean, you 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 ain't gonna believe what I've been through. God sent me, and this is what He said. She did everything that I told the Lord to show me. I brought your wife back to you. This is her. I I this this is from the Lord, and um, so uh, he, he's treating him by telling him all he had done. Isn't that interesting? He didn't go tell Abraham all he's done. He tells Isaac. And uh, he, what he's doing is he's saying Isaac is now being supplanted. I'm, I'm placing Isaac here in Scripture in the proper place. He now replaces Abraham as the messianic promise bearer. He bears the promise now. Abraham's done his job, dads, and we talked about that last week. I'm going to ask you a hard question, Okay. If, if, if you, first of all, if you have adult children in the room and we're all getting older, most of us in here do, a couple of young guys, but most of us are old. Let's just call it, okay? So most of our children, if we have them, are adults now, if not all of them. And what I want to ask the question is, are your children in a position that you can die and your faith will be fine? They now bear the image of our Savior. Or if you died right now, someone be someone you couldn't be trusted with that. Let's get on it. Some of it you can't control, but but even if they reject it, be sure you can stand before the Lord and say, "I did my job. I'm sorry they didn't they turned they didn't receive it, but I did my job." Not stand there going, "I wish I had more time. I was going to get around to that." Uh, so Abraham has done his job. And so it's time for him to go home, and we'll get that when we come back from the from from vacation. So let's let's now look at sixty seven. Sixty seven. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife. Now this is really cool. What happens next? And I didn't know this the many times as I've read this, for the first time in Scripture you're going to read the words that a husband loved his wife. Before this, it's all been kind of rigid. 
It's God putting things together. I'm not, I'm not saying they didn't love each other. Don't misunderstand me. But the first time we see in Scripture, because remember when the Apostle Paul shows up in the New Covenant and he starts talking about elevating women to a place that men should love them like Christ loved the church and that we should give ourselves up for our wives, that was completely unheard of. What Paul is preaching about how husbands should treat wives was counter culture. Nobody had ever heard this concept before because men pretty much did with their wives whatever they wanted. And and if they if they didn't like them, they'd go get another girl. And if they, you know, all this was going and Paul comes in and says, No, this is radical. This is your number one earthly priority. And you should serve you should serve your wife and and the kind of leadership that Jesus showed us is that he gave up himself for those he that he was placed in headship over. Thus, a husband should give up himself, and the true leadership role is like your Savior. You serve your wife like Christ served the church. You bathe her in the Word of God. You present her as blameless. Peter comes up and says, any man who mistreats his wife, any man who's harsh with his wife, God doesn't hear his prayers. These were concepts that were unheard of, but this is the first time we see something like this in the Old Testament. We don't see this much, and it's the first time we ever see it. And, and she became his wife, and he loved her. That's the first time we see that in Scripture. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Just as Isaac and his father Abraham, Rebecca now, you know, as Abraham moves in there and, and, and he takes the place of his father, this is cool right here, Rebecca takes the place of Sarah. Now Rebecca moves into her role in the messianic movement toward Jesus, the offspring. So now Isaac and Rebecca replace Abraham and Sarah. First time the Bible mentions the love between a man and his wife. And this love enabled Isaac to find comfort after the loss of his other significant woman in his life, his mother. And the Bible tells us that. So the man who has a good wife and a godly wife has a good thing. And this is showing us that, that now we're getting set up for Isaac and Rebekah. And I love the fact that it says, as, you know, as marriage has been mocked and made fun of and blasphemed, by a sinful, dying society. Those of us who, who I had this conversation just yesterday, involving a, a daughter and a potential husband, and it, like a lot of people, they had made mistakes, and 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 they they have not completely. Um, they're not married, but they're trying to live in a way that uh, is husband and wife, but but is not the way God designed it. And we were talking about that, and I said, you know, I, I, the dad's going to go talk to the to the guy and say, look, are you ever going to marry my daughter? And and I said, you know, I, speaking from experience for someone who did everything wrong for so long, including marriage, I said, this is what I'd tell him. Because I, I said, do they desire to be in, in God's church? And he said, you know, they are visiting and all that. I said, well, if the desire is for them to be right with God, I said, there's nothing more wonderful 
to take these gifts of intimacy between a husband and a wife and to take that and place that under the authority of God and to be in the marriage bed holding your wife and God approve of it and for him to say, now this is what I designed. I reconcile you. I forgive you. I make you pure. I put you together under my authority. And now, under my authority, you can truly comfort each other. And I know that every man in this room that has a marriage that's under the authority of God, there's really not anybody on this planet that can comfort us quite like our wives. They're a treasure from God. And what we've allowed to happen is for this whole relationship to be made fun of, to be presented as undesirable. And you got all these these hounds out there chasing women, thinking that they're the ones that are living the life. And if they were honest, they sit alone in their homes a lot after all their conquest. And as soon as those conquests are over and that time of physical pleasure is over, they're searching for something because it's left them empty. And the thing they're searching for is a wife under the authority of God and for man and woman to be living as one spiritually and in the flesh, but it's under the authority of God. And he blesses it. And he says, comfort each other. I love this so much that the writer of Hebrews, inspired by me, said, let this marriage be held, all marriage, be held in a place of honor by everyone, and may the marriage bed never be defiled. And I love it so much that from the very beginning, this is what I designed. There's been all kinds of corruption of my design, but this is what I designed, and may no one come against it. No one come against this. And then he loves it so much, he says, I want to give you the analogy about my son and redemption, and I'm going to call you the redeemed, the bride, and I'm going to call my son the groom. That's how much I love this arrangement. That's why I created it. And Isaac loved his wife, and she comforted him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this time. And Lord, just uh, this incredible history that, that we are reviewing. This is, this is not a story. It's not a fairy tale. This, this is documented history. These people actually lived. These things actually happened. And you've allowed us to, to know this history because though names and traditions may change, your standard never has. And I pray, Lord, that we apply these principles to our lives today. And I pray, Lord, that we take every nugget from this today that, that we need to apply to ourselves as a group, but also apply to each other individually and specifically. We love you, Lord. And I pray that you be with us as we go. If there's anybody listening to this, watching this, or anybody in the room, Lord, that there's just something that you've pierced their heart with, that they need an answer, or they need some help, will you give me the words to help them? They come from you. And if you're somewhere else, you can reach me, Rick, at BurgessMinistries.com. And, of course, obviously, if you're in the room, 
You can see me before we go. Thank you, Lord, for the grace and mercy that you've shown us. And thank you for fulfilling your plan of our redemption. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for being with us. Y'all have a great week. Talk to you a week, uh, two weeks from today.